But if this is your first time with us this morning, can I just add my welcome? It is so boss to have you with us today. Um, you're joining us in a series of The Gospel According to Mark, and it's a series we started back in September, which goes through Mark's account where he wrote down the story of Jesus. And it's a story we believe literally changes everything. It changes the entire world we exist within, and it can transform and change us personally. Um, and it's because what we've been seeing is Jesus came on a mission to recreate. He came on a mission to recreate this world we live in. He came to recreate us personally. He came to recreate brokenness. And he came to recreate our relationship with God and our relationships with ourselves and our relationships with each other. And today in particular, we're going to look how Jesus came into the picture of this earth to recreate religion to recreate the law, the law which the Jewish people, which we've just read about at the time, had been holding on to for so long. But Jesus came to bring something new, completely new for them, and that is he came to bring them freedom from that. So um, that's what we're looking at today. And why listen? Why bother tuning in? Why give me your attention? Well, because I think as we'll, we've seen in that story, and as we dig in, we'll see, um, there's an opportunity this morning that you're missing the point. It sounds harsh, but there's an opportunity that you're missing something, that you're missing out on life to the full. Um, so wherever you're at this morning, whether, whatever you think of Jesus, or however Christianity makes you feel inside, I'd just love it if you give me the opportunity now for like, I don't know how long it'll be, not long, um, to surprise you and give Jesus the opportunity to show you how it is he came to recreate this thing we call religion and to completely flip it on its head and bring freedom. Right, so we've just read that passage. Rob, thanks so much for reading for us. And those keen eyes among you, if you've been with us in the series, you'll see we have jumped ahead. That is because last week, um, because of COVID, we, we couldn't meet together. So um, that part of the story remains to be told. I believe Kath is raring to go to jump on that one. So we will go back to that, but we're in this passage now. And to help us understand this passage, I'm literally just, we're just going to look at three super quick questions. First one is, what on earth is going on? There's so many words there. We're going to look at that. Second one is, what's going on in the bigger story? And then thirdly, what on earth does this mean for my story? Yeah, three questions. Hopefully that means I won't get lost, and hopefully you won't get lost either. So if you're with me, we're going to start with what on earth is going on here. And if you were listening, you would have heard words of wedding, cloth, wine, skin, and special bread. And I don't know if you guys know the game code names or Linky. If those were your four words, you're going to struggle to find a common link between those ones. All the best for you. If you do get those words, the answer is Jesus next time you play. And um, the, the two moments we read, there was a moment, um, there were two moments where Jesus faces challenges about two particular practices or laws the Jews were keeping to or following um, when Jesus entered the picture of the earth. And these practices were fasting. Fasting, when we say it, we typically mean to go without food for a certain time. And the other one was Sabbathing. It's to practice rest on a particular day. Um, and apparently Jesus is getting both of these completely wrong. The spectators who are following Jesus at the time are offended that Jesus isn't doing exactly what they're doing. And they're so frustrated by his chillness when it comes to the law. Um, so they call him out in front of everyone directly, and that's what we saw in those two passages. Um, and what we're witnessing here, when, so what on earth's going on? We're witnessing a tension, 
a tension within the Jews at the time as they grappled between these two things. Jamie came and spoke to us a couple of weeks where Jesus, in Mark wrote it down in chapter 1, says, guys, I've came to bring something completely new. Completely new. I've come to bring the kingdom of God. And on the other hand, they've had something their people, their ancestors have held on to for ages. So what we're experiencing through these anxious questions of what does it mean for Sabbathing, what does it mean for fasting, what we're witnessing is a tension going on there. And it looks like um, anxiety of what does this actually mean. So that's going on, but if for us to understand that tension, we need to see what the bigger picture is. What, what is that old? Where did it come from? And then what's this new? So to help us do that, um, Kath, Kath, it was about what four weeks ago now, introduced us to this model, which we're going to use throughout this whole series. And it's a, it's a way of telling the Bible as a single narrative, which entires ties together the whole story of the world into just three parts. And it's super simple, so I absolutely love it. So the first one's creation. There it is. So creation, we can just look at Genesis 1 and 2 for that. And it's a picture how God designed the world to be in the beginning. Perfect. Boss. And then part two, decreation, that's from Genesis 3 onwards. And that's where we look at a spiraling fall away from that original design. A spiraling fall away from a kind of world God intended. And in part three, that's recreation. That's what Mark signals, right? This is the time this is happening. When Jesus enters the earth, this is the start of that third chapter, recreation. Because Jesus is on a mission to recreate this world, recreate us, and recreate our relationships as well. So that's the big model. So we're going to go on this journey quite quickly together this morning through it and try and see how the law figures in. Is that all right? Are you with me? Good. <laughs> Hope so. We'll strap in. Okay, so we're going to go for um, creation at the beginning. I'm going to be very visual, so think of creation over here. Okay, visually associated there. So in creation, we are walking with God in the garden. Everything is perfect, and we are in a garden where those trees didn't exist last week, that mouse didn't exist last week. I know Cass really scared the mouse. I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> But it's completely perfect. Completely perfect. And actually, try and grasp that. God, the power of every single hurricane, the complexity of every musical note, the breadth of every color is within this God who's literally walking around a garden. Like, that's bonkers. And we, as humans, get to be in that garden and walk next to a God who is all of that. Like, that, that, that's bonkers. Um, and most importantly, humans, we were able to completely love God in that setting. And we were able to completely love each other and ourselves in that setting as well. It was perfect. And it was a perfect world. We were given authority. We were given freedom. And we were given a single command, which was to not eat fruit, a particular fruit. And I think what's really important to note about that is the world was still 100% perfect when that first command was given. Commands are not plan B. They're not a response to um, something being broken. You often think we need to put rules in place if the kid is most likely to disobey. That's not what Jesus thinks or God thinks about rules. They are designed, they're actually designed for us to flourish under and find ultimate freedom in. So, for example, if you think of a bird, if I ask you the question, when is a bird most free? Well, it's, of, it's when the bird's flying around, going wherever it wants. But in order for that bird to fly around, go wherever it wants, it has to follow 
a rhythm and a pattern of what it means to fly. It has to flap its wings at a certain velocity. It has to duck its head in a certain way if it wants to dive. It has to tilt its body a certain number of degrees if it wants to go that way. This bird has to take on these rhythms, these motions, in order for it to flourish, in order for the bird to do exactly what it was designed to do, fly. And we're exactly the same. As humans, we are not paint thrown on a wall which just somehow looked all right. We are designed, we have purpose, we have intention. And it is by living within that design um, is where we're going to find the most flourishing and freedom. Um, and commands help us do that. So that's the first thing, like, commands are boss. They really are. We don't think it, um, but they are made for us. And they really help us figure out what it means to flourish. Okay, so that was creation. We're literally walking with God over there. Everything's completely perfect. And we're given a command to flourish under um, but things take a turn, and that's what leads to um, decreation in part two. Um, and so that one command we were given, we chose to break. That was out of desire of independence. We wanted to follow our own paths. It was a desire of self-expression. We wanted to create our own stories. And it was a desire of personal fulfillment. I want to make myself happy. So we, we were cast out of the garden, and we are no longer in this place where we are able to walk with our maker. This is what we were designed to do. We're no longer in that place anymore. But God didn't give up on us. He just couldn't. He absolutely loves us. And he couldn't just let us go. So he was on a journey to seek us out. And it was in that seeking us out, that's where we are introduced to the law. The Jews at the time would have called it the Torah. And it's this thing, these Jews in the, the spectators in this story, that's what they were referencing to. So to let me have a sip of water and for you to have a break of listening to my voice, we're going to watch 60 seconds of a video to introduce us to the Torah. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments. Some generally take good advice, don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, and those are just the first ten. They're actually a little bit of a different thing to command. I'll get into the details found in the first five in Hebrew, it's not called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law. It doesn't have all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these? All of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love us. And when Jesus talked about the Torah, he said that he would bring that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. I'll try and do just that. It's quite good, that little seamless thing, wasn't it? Um, so what we saw in that video is the law actually, what these spectators are referring to when they mention it, they're referring to a story. It's a story of God reforming a people back to like what it was in the garden over here, being able to walk with God love God and love others completely. It's a story of trying to reform us back to that place. And the specific laws, commands, practices in that story, those 613, the guys in that video mentioned there, play an important part as a way of imitating that initial creation design, bringing us back to what it was like to walk with God in the garden. That was the role those played. So some examples, sacrifices, and that was a big part of Jewish, um, the Jewish law at the time. Sacrifices were a way of making us truly good and pure again. 
just like it was in the garden, being able to completely love God and others. Ceremonial cleaning, that's what allowed the Jews at the time to enter into God's presence, to bring them back to what it was like here in the garden, being able to fully love God and others. And laws on murder, stealing, adultery, they were designed to reform human relationships to be exactly what it was like back there, able to fully love each other. Do you see all those rules were trying to imitate and send us back that way? It was trying to re, re almost like point us back to what it was like um, in the garden. And these laws were a means of creating moments where once again we got a glimpse of that original design. We could step into God's presence. We could be close to him. We could have our identities defined by him and be obedient to him and love him and each other completely. And to help us think about that, that is exactly where this, this little fella here comes into the picture. So you might be thinking, why on earth did I feel so compelled to drive to Birkenhead late on Thursday night to pick this up? And um, it's because ultimately, when I was thinking about this, ultimately a treadmill, this is going to sound super deep, a treadmill is ultimately a story. Yeah, let that sink in. It's ultimately a story, and it might be a really intimidating story for loads of us, but the reason it's a story is because this is never a destination. This is never something you're supposed to end up on. It's always, it's, it's never an end goal. There's not a treadmill Olympics we compete in. It's always something which is a means of trying to imitate something else, whether that's walking or running, and it's a way of trying to take us into something else. So to help us, I'm going to use my best mate here, Virgil van Dijk, the boy. And so Virgil van Dijk, he's a centre-back for Liverpool. I'm just going to use this as a really brief example. Two years ago, you might say he was the best centre-back in the world. He's getting back into form now. And he was playing at the peak of design for a centre-back. He was strong, fast, fit, and tactically exceptional, and a wonderful man. And I'll stop. Um, <laughs> so he had a moment in this next slide where actually that spiralled out of control. He got injured, and he fell away completely to being able to live out that peak design of what it means to be a centre-back. He was far from it, and he couldn't get himself that. And it was at that time he would have been given something like this, a treadmill. His is way fancier than this. I doubt his cost 20 quid. Um, but it was this, and he was given this treadmill as for the purposes of imitating those rhythms, those movements, those motions of what he used to do on the football pitch. The, the treadmill, in his case, was a means of trying to go back to what it was he was doing before. And actually, it was all about leading him on he was never supposed to just stay on the treadmill. That's stupid. He had, he'd, he, the point was to lead him on to something else. Like, the story wasn't complete. Um, but yeah, it, the, in, the treadmill for him, when the physio gave it to him, it was an invitation to imitate that perfect design and try and bring Virgil back closer to getting there. I hope that made sense. And the law, the law is exactly the same. Back in creation, we were walking with God, completely loving God, and others, and the law. This was the law God gave us. God gave us a law which was something the Jewish people could do to imitate what was going on back there. I'll have a little go. It was this, it's actually really hard. They could take these really, um, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> it's not motorized, but you could take these really like, in the same way here, walking with God had these characteristics of steps of like having no shame, having complete trust in God, being known by God. And all those laws were means of trying to imitate that and follow that same rhythm. Does that make sense? It was a pattern of rhythm and rules, practices, rituals, ceremonies, 
all with the heart of human flourishing. Like a treadmill's never supposed to put us down. It can feel like it, and I'll go on to why in the future, but it's never supposed to. It's supposed to bring us into something great and bring people back to an original design. So <laughs> I really hope that was worth the 20 pounds for that to make sense. And, and it's good for us to know that the law and that this treadmill it's not the full solution. It, the law for the Jewish people couldn't be the full solution in that story. Those rules, those rituals couldn't be the full answer. Um, and the story had to go on. There had to be a third chapter because it wasn't enough. And I'll give you three reasons why it wasn't enough. Firstly, um, and we'll get them up now. Firstly, the law, it wasn't complete. The law isn't able to fully get us back to what it was like in the garden. It is not, it was never meant to be this permanent state. It's not, it's just not the same. Living out those ceremonies and sacrifices is not the same as walking with our maker in a garden. That's obvious. Like it's not the same at all. And the same with the treadmill. Virgil running on this treadmill, it's not the same as him playing football. It's not complete. He can't stay there forever. Something needs to go on in the story. Secondly, the law, it isn't enough. Um, and we can see this from a guy called Moses. Moses was in the Old Testament. He led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he was the guy who God gave these Ten Commandments to, which formed the base of the law, pretty much. Um, and as Moses was about to die and he gave this farewell speech, he, he was really harsh and just put it straight to the people of Israel. And he's like, what I've learned from you guys is you're never going to be able to keep the law. It's impossible. You guys are never going to be able to do it. The, the law on its own isn't enough to transform you guys to what it would look like to be back in the garden. So in Deuteronomy 30, he says, One day the Lord, will, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. And this is something other um, people in the Old Testament, so Ezekiel and Jeremiah, said very similar things, that on one particular day, God will bring his spirit to soften our hearts and enable us to truly follow the law. I think it was in Jeremiah, it said the law will be written on our hearts, so it's no longer duty, it's just who we are, like it was back there. Um, and it's the same here, sometimes with a for Virgil, the treadmill, he couldn't just work hard enough on this, of trying to recreate those motions to get him there. He needed deeper healing in his case. He had surgery, and for us and the Jews, they couldn't just keep doing the law, keep doing it, keep doing it, and hope that they could get back to that place. Like everyone in the Old Testament was saying it, this, these ceremonies, sacrifices, rules, they're not enough to completely get us back to what it was like at the beginning. I hope that makes sense too. And lastly, why is the law isn't the answer? It's because it has been misused. Um, just like when we took this perfect garden, a garden designed for us to flourish in, we took this law which was designed for us to flourish under, and we used and we we just used it for independence, self-expression, and personal fulfillment. And that's often the root behind our worst experiences, religion. Well, I think anyway. Um, we may have seen this um, externally, might have seen it in family or on the news. We might have experienced this personally. Um, but when we take laws and make it all about performance, and it's detached from a bigger story, um, it, it can be and it has been used as a means of oppression, judgment, and hurt. 
That's what it does when we take it out the full story. And we can misuse the law to raise ourselves up and put others down. And that is the context of the Jewish religious leaders at the time of this story. In that time, there is a clear context um, of oppression of a people through a hierarchy of performance and discrimination of worthy, not worthy. And they, they were doing that by using this really good gift to do that. And in the case of the treadmill, it looks like forgetting what its purpose is, is to lead us onto something else or imitate there. We are just fixated with it. And we actually want to go, how quick can I go? How steep can I raise this thing as a way of self-expression to go, look how good I am, look. And almost we want to prove something within ourselves by doing it. And actually we can try and put people on it and go, you need to run at this speed. This is what religion can do. You need to run at that height. You need to do it at this particular level. And all it leads to is people feeling inadequate, um, unworthy, or just knackered, like completely knackered. And that's what religion has done. So I just want to stop for a second and go, has that experience of religion, has that been your experience? Does Christianity, just the word of it or the setting of it, make you feel inadequate or knackered or not worthy? Because it was never supposed to. And I want to shout that into whatever that context was. It was never supposed to. And that is the result of human brokenness. It's the result of taking something for us to flourish and just using it wrong. Um, It's not godly design. And I just want to say, I'm so sorry if that's what you've experienced. I'm so sorry. Um, But let's see. If you're willing to still come with me, let's see what Jesus did beyond this which is the boss news which we're going to look at today. So, so parts one and two is where we're up to. We were walking with God here in the garden. It was amazing. We were given the law as a way to try and imitate that and try and lead us onto something else. Um, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't enough. And we misused it. So what we're going to do now is go on to this third part of um, recreation. We're going to try and see what Jesus did about it. And just to say as a whole spoiler, Jesus is the complete continuation of this story. And Jesus came not to abolish this, but to fulfill it. And what it looks like for Jesus to fulfill it is he is standing here in this third chapter. And he's coming up to call us off this old system of performance as a means of connecting with God. And bring us into a completely new way of doing connection with God. That is a way of based on relationship as we walk with God. It's to lead He came to lead the Jewish people and actually the entire world off this system where they'll still follow rules and practices which lead them to flourish. But it's fundamentally different because it is with him. And it looks so similar to that back in the garden because once again, we can walk with our maker. That's the big spoiler. But um, we're going to see now how Jesus actually came to answer those three shortcomings. We're going to see that in our text. And then I'm going to wrap up. So are you ready? Are you still with me? It's a lot of pictures, I'm sorry. But um, I, hope, I hope you're hearing the boss story underneath it all. So that first one, if you can get up the shortcoming, yeah, go. So that first one, it isn't complete. The law isn't complete. Well, fundamentally, Jesus completes the law. He finishes the story. And how we're going to see that is from verses 19. So if you can get it up, let me just read that. I'll leave my pocket Bible. <laughs> Um, Verse 19, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, 
so long, oh, <laughs> I can't make, sorry. Uh, they cannot, so long as they have him with them. So to answer the question, this was a question the Pharisees put to Jesus. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus puts himself in a narrative the Jews of the time would have been so familiar with. Weddings were a big deal to the Jews. I went to a scouse wedding literally last night, and that was a big deal. It's so good. But for the Jews, I think it was even bigger. And it was the size to the point where even the Pharisees, their rhythms of teaching and fasting would have been interrupted for a wedding. So that's the context. So when Jesus asks, at a wedding, would you be fasting? For us in this room and for the Jews at the time, it is so obvious, of course not. That would be completely stupid. And Jesus uses that to say, well, it's exactly the same, exactly the same. I am that bridegroom, and that's why my disciples aren't fasting, because it would be completely stupid too. And for the Jews listening, when Jesus used that word of the bridegroom, it would have triggered something. It means more to them than it does to us naturally. And the reason it does is because God and Israel had gone through this rhythm of numerous times where they'd been united together in a relationship. And then we chose, the people of Israel chose to leave God and that relationship was broken. They did that back in the garden and they had to leave the garden. And then after they made these covenantal promises on Mount Sinai, so when Moses got the law and basically God said, right, you're going to be my people. And Israel said, yeah, you're going to be my God. That was practically a wedding then. And, but once again, the, Israel walked away and the Old Testament uses the language, they committed adultery. And again, it was broken. And at the time when God and Israel were separated from one another, um, God says something in the book of Hosea. And it's Hosea chapter 2, so we'll get that up now. There we go. So in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will betroth you to me forever. This is from verse 19. We just jumped a little bit ahead. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. The day the Lord is talking about there is a day when ultimate recreation will come to mankind. When God, God will send someone to bring his people back completely into relationship with him. So what Jesus is saying here, when he's comparing himself to a bridegroom, he is directly comparing himself to all these Old Testament prophecies and promises from long ago. Um, and he's basically saying, I am this husband you were promised. I am everything you've been waiting for. I am what this entire story of the law of going from the garden to this system of trying to imitate that and trying to get back to fully being with God. I am, I am that completion of the story. I am the bridegroom. I am the person who's came back to bring us there. And, he's, and then he says, that's why my disciples aren't fasting. Because, guys, there should be a time of feasting. God is here. We're able to walk with God again. That's flipping mad. Like crazy mad. It's, it's boss. And so that's what Jesus came to do. He came to complete the law and himself was the fulfillment of that law. Being God, walking with man again, inviting them beyond just the law, but to walk with him in relationship. Okay, so that's how, what he did there when the law wasn't complete. But where the law wasn't enough, Jesus brings something new, which is more than enough. So to see that, we're going to go to verse 21. Let's look at that together. So, Verse 21, 22. Um, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. 
and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So what we've already seen together is um, the law was never enough. Moses said it wasn't enough. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they were all saying, yeah, this isn't enough. Something new is needed, something to transform the hearts of mankind so they could follow God's law. They could love God completely, and they could completely love each other. And what Jesus responds with here is that something new you've all been waiting for. That something new is here. The arrival of the kingdom, that coming of the Spirit, that recreation of our hearts is here, and it doesn't fit into an old system. It doesn't fit into an old way of thinking. That's the analogy of the um, cloth. You can't put something new into an old hole because it will pull away. And Jesus hasn't come to add to religion. Jesus hasn't come to bring advice on how to run quicker or how to actually be able to go for longer or how to ramp up the steepness. He hasn't come to add to this. He's come to bring something completely new. Um, And in the example of the wineskins, Jesus says, and for that something new, there needs to be a completely new backdrop um, to be able to work in. The kingdom of God, being like it was in the garden, can't operate in a a broken religious system. And in the analogy of the wineskins, it'll just burst the religion. It's not compatible at all. Um, And it's in the same way, if you think of Virgil on his um, treadmill, he can't play football and be on the treadmill at the same time. Like He can't bring this into Anfield and put it on the pitch and try and chase um, Raheem Sterling down the line if he's still on this. He can't do it. They can't coexist at the same time. He can't be in this law and try and live in this new kingdom. Um, and Jesus' whole ministry is to say, I am everything you've been waiting for. And what you've been waiting for is me to bring something new and something which is enough, something enough to allow us to get back to that place. Um, I can heal your hearts, like Moses was saying, so you can be with me once again, and you can love God once again. Jesus is saying he's come to bring something new, which is way more than enough. Okay, last one. The law has been misused, so what does Jesus do? How does he recreate this shortcoming of the law? Well, he reestablishes that the law is for us and not against us. And to see that, we're going to read from verse 25. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abatha the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, and this is the thing I really want us to draw in on, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus here is reestablishing the very purpose, the very intention the law was created in the first place. Like in the garden, laws were these amazing things to help um, Adam and Eve figure out, this is what it looks like to flourish. I'll make it obvious for you. You don't have to figure this out. I'm going to make it really clear so you can enjoy this life of flourishing and find true freedom. Um, These laws were given for our good. And the law here, it was given for the good of the people of Israel. It was to benefit them, to bless them. It was never to oppress them. And Jesus directly opposes here a religious system which makes people feel inadequate. He directly opposes a religious system which makes people feel unworthy. 
And he directly opposes a religious system which makes people feel knackered. He came to bring rest. He came to bring freedom from a heavy religion which had been put on the Jews at the time. He said, it is for you, not against you. And by saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath, this just might be being taken this a bit further, but I almost think of it as like, and if anyone says differently, then you send them to me because this is what I have authority of. They've got no authority over here. If they're using it to shame you, oppress you, or make you feel knackered, then you send them my way because I am Lord of this Sabbath. This is my thing. This is what I designed. It was a good gift. If they're using it wrong, then you send them my way. That's just the idea I get from him. I think he was, because he must be frustrated. It was a good thing, which he was seeing used wrongly. So might not be right, but. Okay, so we've gone through all of those now. And Sam, there's the three things. That's what Jesus did. He came to complete the law, bring something new, which was way more than enough. Um, and Jesus establishes that this law was for us. So to finish this epic journey, and what does it, sorry, what does it mean for our story? Well, I think what we've overall seen, that this is a boss story. It's a story of hope and life. We're not, and for us guys in particular, we are past this. We get to read about what's happened. We are in the third chapter as we speak. Some parts of the world might not live like it and still be here, but we are in that third chapter. Um, it's a story which doesn't end with religion or a series of rules we need to perform or a certain standard we need to keep up. It ends with Jesus coming to bring freedom and literally walk up to us and say, come on, take my hand. We're going to go to some amazing places together. Yes, we are going to walk together. That looks like you doing as I did. It means you taking on my patterns, taking on what I did. And so there's still that obedience, that following, but it's completely different because we get to do it with Jesus. And he gets to take us to places beyond just this. And in both of these stories, Jesus is saying that. He's saying, guys, I'm here. Trust me with um, your life. I'm leading you into something new and something which is going to bring you life. What else we've seen from those stories is we focused on what Jesus has been saying, but I haven't really been focusing on what the, the Pharisees or the spectators were saying. Their questions show they're missing it. They're missing this arrival of everything they've been waiting for. They're missing what Jesus has been saying. And I just want to finish now encouraging you not to miss out. I, I really don't want you to miss out. And there could be three different camps of where we, I've in my life, I've experienced that I've missed out on this. Um, you might not have been able to ever engage with Jesus before. You might have only just heard his name a month ago. Um, but still, there's been something stopping you really engaging with him because it is so hard to look beyond the pain, the shame, the oppression, the judgment, and this striving of religion. It's so hard to see Jesus beyond it. And if that's your experience, or if it was the experience of someone you knew, Jesus sees your situation. He's seen it there, and he's spoken directly into it. And I hope this morning you've seen that Jesus is on the other side of this old religious system, and he's inviting you into life to the full, literally life to the full. And it's the greatest adventure you could ever go on. So maybe you're at a start of just figuring out who Jesus is. I, I want to encourage you, look beyond religion. Don't miss out. I'd absolutely hate you to miss out. Um, another camp you've been in, which I've been in my life, you might have known Jesus, 
but you feel completely uninspired or completely just empty when it comes to a desire to want to follow his practices. So you might be able to see him here, but you're not walking with him. You're not doing as he did or entering his practices or his patterns of how he lived. Um, And that could be because it's seeing that is tarnished by this pressure here or this old images of legalism and just religion can tarnish. You even want to engage that I would do something in response to what that Jesus loves me. And I want to say again, Jesus sees your situation. He completely sees you. He spoke to people before. And I hope this morning you've seen that there's a bigger vision for these practices. It's actually part of a story. Um, You're not called to be on a treadmill. You're called to walk with Jesus. Um, And those things are light to carry. They shouldn't be heavy. So I'd say if you've, you know Jesus, but you've actually, you've gone off a while of actually trying to follow his life or invite his life into yours, um, look again. Don't miss out because I've, I've experienced there's life in them and it's flipping boss over there. So don't miss out. And lastly, um, you might have been following these practices for some time, but you just feel absolutely knackered. You are worn out. And the burden which Jesus told you was going to be light actually feels really heavy on your own. Um, and you're thinking, is this really it? Well, I want, I want to say again, Jesus sees you. And what I think he's saying is he wants you to, he, you've probably been, you've been missing the bigger story. You've been missing Jesus himself. And actually, you might have just been focusing a bit too much on the practices. You might have just been looking too closely at the details of what is required of you. Where's the next thing you need to get to? What's the next thing you need to achieve or tick off? He's saying, no, no, look up. I'm, I'm literally, like, look up, Cal, I'm here. I've been in that so many times. He's like, no, no, look up, Cal. Like, there's life here and there's energy.